Well, as we remain standing, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do sing praises to your name. We praise you for your greatness, your glory, for the gift of your Son. We pray, Lord, now that you would open our hearts to receive from your word that which you have for us, that you would plant deep within us your word, that we might love you and serve you in this world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as I mentioned at the beginning of our time together, today we begin a sermon series which we're calling Walk in the Light, Lessons from 1 John. This letter was written by John the Apostle, and he sent it to a wounded church, one that had suffered significant internal challenges. Disagreements have arisen over who Jesus is and what implications that has for daily life. And some have left the church because of these disagreements. Now, often in our day and age, when there's a disagreement, we crank up the volume. The yelling and finger pointing starts. We focus on how wrong they are and how right we are. It's taking the polemical approach, focusing all of our time and energy on attacking. John doesn't do that. He doesn't write a polemical letter. He writes a pastoral letter. Now, make no mistake, John sets very clear boundaries. In fact, clearer than maybe some of us would feel comfortable with. For John, there is life and death, truth and lies, holiness and sin, light and darkness. As we read 1 John together, it's going to become pretty clear there's not a lot of gray in the world for John. But he sets these boundaries with a pastoral focus. It's as if he's saying, listen, they're gone, and this is why they've left, but that's who they are. This is who we are, and we need to move forward together. We need to walk in the light John Stott puts it this way. John writes as a pastor to his people. He loves them and is deeply concerned to protect them from the enticements of the world and the errors of false teachers and to see them established in faith, love, and holiness. He warns them, exhorts them, argues with them, instructs them. John does this by helping the people get clarity on the gospel, on who Jesus is and what having faith in him means for our lives. And so that is what we're going to do together. That's what we're doing this summer. Jesus calls us to walk in the light. And if we want to walk in the light, we need to be clear on these things, on what the gospel is, on who Jesus is and what implication that has for our day today living. And so we're going to start where John does, by laying the foundation. So let's open together to 1 John chapter 1. When we open to chapter 1, we find something that's actually pretty typical for John. It's a pretty confusing sentence. This is how John writes, sort of all over the place. You may have noticed if you look closely that verses 1 through 3 are all one sentence. And to top that off, the construction is not clear at all. We read, 
That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest. It appears as though he's speaking about a person since he heard and saw and looked at and touched this thing, but in the Greek, all of the relative pronouns here are in the neuter gender, hence the translation, that which. Now, scholars have debated one another for years about this. Some say that John is referring to the gospel, to the preached word of God, because if he was referring to Jesus, then the Greek would all be in the masculine, and that makes sense. It's a fair point. Others say that no, John is referring to Jesus. After all, how can you see and touch something that isn't physical? Well, that's also a good point. That's a fair point as well. So what is John talking about? Well, I believe, and perhaps I'm in the minority here. That's okay. I'm pretty used to having a minority opinions at this point in my life. But I believe he's talking about both. He's subtly teaching his audience that the gospel and Jesus are one and the same. You don't get to have Jesus without having the full message of the gospel, but you don't get to have the good news without having Jesus himself. Now, on the surface, at least for Orthodox Christians, that seems like a pretty obvious statement. But here's the thing. John is dealing with a situation where people are twisting who Jesus is. They seem to have been arguing that Jesus was divine, but that he was not human. And so John sets out to correct this issue, and he does it by showing the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, is grounded in reality. It's tangible. There's substance to it. Look at the language John uses. He gives us a, a progression, right? Going from that which can be heard to then concluding with that, that which is experienced, that is physically encountered, it's touched. When we think about it, it's, it's actually the language of coming to Christ, isn't it? Right? It starts with hearing the gospel, the good news of God's reconciling work through the atoning death and conquering resurrection of Jesus. After hearing it, we see it. We, we look upon it. That's what the Greek is actually meaning here. The looked upon there, it means investigated, examined. We examine the validity of the gospel to see if there's any stake behind the sizzle, if you will. And then it culminates in a personal experience, an encounter with Jesus. I'm not necessarily talking about like a, a Paul-like light from heaven moment here, but that to have faith in Jesus, whether that occurs in a moment or over years, means that we have to interact with him at some point on a personal level. We can't keep him at a distance. He can't remain just something that we've heard about sometime. Since he can be experienced, since he can be touched and interacted with, that means that Jesus is the one who gets the stand, to set the standard for who he is and what the gospel is. We don't get to 
twist Jesus. We don't get to change the gospel to meet our desires or liking. But it is oh so tempting, isn't it? To water down the gospel because we think that'll make Jesus just a little more palatable. That's what this group of troublemakers is doing. You see, in their time, it was troublesome to say that Jesus was a man because they believed that the body was something that we try to escape from. It was a bad thing. And so the divine would never take on genuine human flesh. Now, such a twisting of the nature of Jesus has led them to fall away from the truth of the gospel and fall into moral and ethical problems. We'll talk about those specifically in the weeks ahead. But John corrects their error right away. Jesus is divine. There is no question about it. After all, the epistle starts with John saying, that which was from the beginning. This is a clear statement of divine preexistence. But he is also someone who could be physically interacted with. John himself heard the gospel from the very human lips of Jesus. And he knows that to lose a full picture of who Jesus is, is to lose the gospel itself. It's to fall away from life with Christ into a false religion. Now, we have the opposite problem in our time. Few people believe these days that Jesus is only God. Far more people believe that he's not God at all but just a man. You may have heard people say at one point or another, well, Jesus was just a good moral teacher. And he taught basically the same thing as all other religions, right? That we should be good to people and we should treat people like, they, they, like we would want to be treated. And we just, we just love one another. And, and that's really what Jesus was about. Well, the problem with that is that's not the gospel. Jesus doesn't teach that he's a good moral teacher. He teaches that he is God himself who uniquely died for the sins of mankind so that we could be reconciled to God. Those are not the teachings of just any religion. Those are unique to Jesus. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis deals with this very issue. He gives uh, one of the more famous Quotes, it's a rather long one, but we'll plow through the whole thing. It's well worth it. He writes this. I'm trying to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is one thing we must not say. A man who is merely a man and said the sorts of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman, or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. 
He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. It's a great quote, isn't it? That's absolute clarity on who Jesus is. Confusion about Jesus is with us to this day. We experience the opposite problem of what the church in John's day did, but the root is still the same. It's a minimizing of who Jesus is, and it creates confusion. Confusion on Jesus and the gospel, and it leads people away from from the saving work of Christ. So here's the application for us. We need to be crystal clear on who Jesus is and what the gospel is. Jesus is the whole thing, friends. He is the only reason we have anything worth saying at all. Without him, we have nothing. We're sitting around wasting our time. I like y'all, but we're not accomplishing that much without him. It's a big part of what this sermon series is all about this summer. Getting clear on foundational things so that we can walk in the light of God together. But if we're going to walk together... We need to know where we're starting. And so ask yourself, am I clear on Jesus? Do I know who he is? Do I know what the gospel is? If I had to define it, could I do it? How would I do it? If you're unclear on these things, it's okay to admit that. In fact, it's good to admit that. But are you willing to seek clarity this summer? Are you willing to seek Jesus this summer? There's no shame in admitting that you need to know more, that you're not quite sure about something. If you're not sure and if you want clarity, come talk to me, please. I would love to walk through this study with you. I'd love to just interact and talk about who Jesus is. I'm willing to do that if you come and let me know. I'm sure there's others in the church who would be willing as well. One way that we get clarity is to ask ourselves, when you hear someone teaching or preaching, do you actually check out what they say? The gospel stands up to scrutiny. And there are plenty of people out there who claim to teach the gospel and are teaching anything but. There are plenty of cultural beliefs that have seeped their way into the church. That Jesus is only a great moral teacher is just one of them. Are we able to identify those false teachings for what they are? The gospel can be examined. We can take what we hear and what other people say and judge it against the gospel itself by going back to the scriptures. Friends, I'm including me in this. When you hear me preach, don't just assume I've got it right. Don't just take my word for it. You have a Bible. If you don't, let me know. I'll get you one. Take what you hear from me and measure it for yourself. See if what I say is true. And if anything I say is not in the gospel, I'm wrong. And that should be pointed out to me. We need to get clarity on Jesus and the gospel. We don't get to twist these things. We don't get to make them what we want them to be. And to get clarity, we need to not just accept whatever it is that we hear 
because somebody said it was in Jesus' name. It is through a robust engagement with the word of God that we gain and keep, keep clarity on who Jesus is and the gospel. And we're able to then defend ourselves and those around us from false teaching. We need to get clarity on these things. And so then, who is Jesus revealed to be in this passage? Well, first... He is the source of eternal life. Verse 2 tells us that the life was made manifest, that life was seen, that Jesus was seen. He revealed himself to the world so that people would know him and in knowing him have eternal life. That is what is given to those who believe in Jesus. John and the apostles are remarkably clear on this, and we know that Because after it had been revealed to them that Jesus alone is the source of eternal life, they are propelled out to tell others. Sharing Jesus becomes the central motivation of their lives. The main verb in John's massive sentence here comes in verse 3. It's we proclaim. They were so changed by Jesus that they were driven to proclaim eternal life, to proclaim him to the world. And so one of the ways we know if we have clarity on Jesus in the gospel is if we desire others to know the same truth that we have. I love the comparison that Tim Keller makes. Imagine for a second, some of you may not have to, that you have arthritis. And one day, you discover the cure for arthritis. Would you then say, well, gosh, this is just way too personal and private. I don't want to share this with anybody. I can't tell anybody about this. Of course not. That's a preposterous conclusion, right? You'd want everyone who has arthritis to know about it so that they too can be healed. Well, if you know Jesus... If you're clear on who he is, on what the gospel is, that means you have eternal life. That means you have the cure for sin and death. How then can we possibly say, oh no, this is far too personal. I can't share this with anyone. He is the source of eternal life. All Christians should feel a burden for others to know Jesus Because he alone is the cure for sin and death. He alone can grant eternal life. Now, of course, we don't all share Jesus in the same way. Not many of us are going to be called to publicly preach him. We all have different personalities and gifts. We all proclaim God in the way that he has equipped us to do so. And so it's going to look different for us. For most of us, it's going to be just conversations we have with friends. Telling them about a Bible study that's opened your eyes, that's made Jesus so clear to you. Telling them about a church service that you really loved. Posting a sermon online for other people to hear. We do it as a church together. Yes, by preaching, but also by how we welcome people in here. Desiring more people to come through the doors and to hear the good news of Jesus. That means 
Not getting upset when maybe they sit in the pew you've been sitting in for years. Or taking your seat at coffee hour that you really love. But actually inviting them to stick around. Getting to know them. Having a conversation with them. Inviting them in to our fellowship. So that they might experience the love of Christ here. The love that we claim to know. One way we can tell if we're clear on the gospel is if we want other people to know about Jesus. Because truthfully, if we don't care if other people know Jesus, then we are not clear on who he is. We have not been changed by his grace if it doesn't matter to us at all if other people hear about him. Jesus is the source of eternal life. We also see that he is the source of fellowship and joy. When people come to Jesus, John tells us, they gain fellowship with Jesus and with God the Father. They get an eternal relationship with the divine and with us as well. So that you may have fellowship with us, John writes. It's why how we welcome people matters. We're inviting them into a relationship with the divine. We are inviting them into a fellowship, into a family of believers. Quote John Stott again. You're going to hear a lot from John Stott in this series, by the way. And he's well worth listening to. John Stott points out that fellowship is a specifically Christian word and denotes the common participation in the grace of God, the salvation of Christ, and the indwelling spirit, which is the spiritual birthright of all Christian believers. It is their common possession of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, which makes them, which makes us one if we believe in Jesus. That is what we gain when we accept the clear message of the gospel, that eternal life is found in Jesus and Jesus alone. We get access to the God of all things. We get to be a part of a family of believers. It means we never have to do life on our own again, that we were never intended to in the first place. It means that God is with us, that the church is for us. And as we have that fellowship with the divine, we are also given unspeakable joy. Verse 4, John tells us that he is writing so that our joy may be complete. That's what the Christian life is all about, joy. That's what God promises for us. Now, I'm not talking about being 100% happy 100% of the time. That, that's not it at all. It's not that, well, I've accepted Jesus, so I will never experience sadness again. That, that's utter nonsense. And if anyone is preaching that, they need to stop talking and spend more time reading scripture. Jesus himself experienced sadness. We should not be at all shocked when we do. The joy that is mentioned here is an underlying current of joy. It's having a steady joy even in the face of sadness and suffering. It's that when we experience heartbreak, we do so with a foundation intact. How? Well, because suffering is real, 
and we face real difficulties. That, that's true. We can't get around that. But we also know and are clear that eternal life took on flesh and came to rescue the lost of this world. That Jesus Christ, God himself, lived and died for me. And so while I experience awful things in this world, none of that changes who Jesus is and what he has done for me. None of that changes the truth of the gospel. None of that changes the fact that in submitting to the call of Christ, I gain fellowship with the divine and with a family. And because all of that is true, I know there is something far greater and far better than all the nonsense and garbage I face in this world. I know that my Redeemer was made manifest so that I could have life, fellowship, and joy in Him. And one day, that joy will be complete when He returns or calls us home. Do you know that joy? Or does life with Jesus just kind of feel like a constant slog through the muck? Do you know the joy of fellowship with the divine and with a, a family of believers? Or is life just one foot in front of the other, get through the day, slog ahead? I know that's a highly subjective question. I tend to really not like highly subjective questions, especially ones that could be emotive. But we got to ask ourselves the question, is there any joy in my life with Jesus? Do you want joy? You can have it. Just ask him for it. He's there to give it to you. You don't have to attain a certain level before you get it or something. It's not something we earn. He freely gives of himself. Are you clear on the gospel? Do you know who Jesus is? Now, truthfully, we may not be able to answer those questions. But truthfully, as we go through this service, we might think we are able to, and as we go, uh-oh, need to make a little tweak along the way. That's okay. Clarity's a good thing. Are you willing to pursue that clarity this summer? Are you willing to pursue Jesus? Have these questions in mind over the next few weeks. Who do I say that Jesus is? How does my belief in him reflect it in how I live? Do I know the value of God's word? Do I know his word? Do I have fellowship with God? And is there any joy in my walk with him? Clarity is a good thing, friends. And that is my prayer for this church over the summer. That the Lord would give each and every one of us more clarity on our relationship with Christ, on who he is, where he's leading us, how he's changing us. And that we will be formed by his life-giving word in 1 John as we seek to walk in the light. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your life-giving word. We thank you that by Jesus and Jesus alone, we are rescued from sin and death. And we pray, Lord, that over the course of this summer, you would help those of us who do know you to go deeper with you. And those of us who maybe actually have never encountered you, that you would break through in our lives, that you would 
open our eyes to who Jesus is, that we might know his love, his joy, and his peace. And it is in his name we pray. Amen.